0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, happy Sunday. It's already been fun, hasn't it? Also, that was just really great. That was really great. Baptize kids and then get a heckler. (laughs) You know, got like a three-year-old heckler. (laughs) No, it's great. Love it. Well, the first rule of uh, the first rule of public speaking is never ask questions you don't know the answer to. You know, listen, I deserved it. It was great. Loved it. Hey, uh, here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to wrap our series on what we're calling the communal journey. This is set inside of a much larger series that we're doing on spiritual formation. If you are brand new and maybe haven't been here at all, this is your first Sunday, uh, here's what we mean by spiritual formation. We mean, what are the practices that we could give ourselves to that would allow us to be more like Jesus? And so over the last three months, we've sort of identified three ways at adding these sort of patterns and rhythms to our life. We talked about an internal journey, Then we talked about an outer journey, and for the last month we've been talking about the communal journey, meaning what are the communal spiritual disciplines or the communal spiritual practices that could make all of us more like Jesus over time? All right, so here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about worship this morning. Uh, We could not do a series on the communal journey of becoming more like Jesus without taking up uh, worship in particular um, maybe many of you have noticed that we have a mural in the cafe, and uh, that'd be Josh. Come on, Josh, right here. That's, that's Josh Patton's work. But I hope you noticed that in the mural, there are some words written up there. And one of the words that's written in the mural is the word worship. And the reason that word is written in that mural is because it's one of our main values here at the Vineyard, uh, meaning corporate Worship. It's just something that was with us in the very beginning of our church and has remained and we're going to keep giving ourselves to it. Now, here's the thing about worship. Uh, Worship isn't just the songs that we do on Sunday morning. Uh, It's everything that happens on Sunday morning. So when we get here and someone has made hot coffee for you and you take it, there's a sense in which this is worship because it's brothers and sisters who are serving one another and making a place that's hospitable for other human beings. When we read the scripture together, that is worship. When we do call and response prayers, that's worship. When we listen to the word of God, that is worship. And when we sing together, that is also worship. So there's this sense in which worship is not just this tiny sliver, maybe 30 minutes where there's some music, but I would like to say it's never less than that, you know? And I would also like to say there's something about that tiny sliver of worship that is. 30 minutes of music here at the Vineyard, and sometimes maybe a little more, that is very, very special. You know? It's very special. There's something about singing together and directing our hearts towards God that really, really changes people. And it changes communities of faith. And it's been extremely important in our own church's history. Um, I'll just tell you guys, like, from the very beginning of the vineyard, I think the thing that has caused this community to form and find its identity is more in the singing part of worship than it ever has been in the preaching part of worship. You know? There's just something that's really, really wonderful there. And didn't you notice this morning that during the singing portion of worship, like, the room just kept changing, you know? And by changing, I mean... Um, a sense of God's presence sort of just kept coming. And didn't you notice that maybe by the third song, there was, there was something happening in the room. And by the way, it's not just sociology, you know? It's not just a bunch of human beings in the room are all doing the same thing. There's something more, right? That's been with us from the beginning. And, and here at the Vineyard, we're never going to let go of that. And in fact, we want to lean into that more because we know there's something available to us. When we're together in this sort of space. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And the text I want to use to sort of lay out some of this this morning is Psalm 150. Psalm 150. By the way, this is the last Psalm. There's 150 Psalms. This is the last one. It goes like this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with lyre and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, no series on spiritual formation would be complete without a message on worship. Now, before we unpack the text this morning, I want to say a couple things about worship. Uh, The first thing I want to say is something I've already said. Worship's bigger than just singing, but there is something about that that's just been really historically important for us here at this church. Um, I do want to sort of lean into that just for a moment. Worship is something more, and it's more than singing. It's the way that we really orient ourselves towards God. That's really what worship is. Worship is always about responding to God. God is, uh, is, is and has done things in the world, and worship is about waking up to the fact that there is a God and that he has done things in the world. Worship is always, always about responding to to God. It's about waking up to the fact that there is a God and that he has been and is active in the world. Uh, it's, it's who he is and it's what he does that commands a response. Now, when I say things like who he is and what he does commands a response, some of us in the room are perhaps thinking that, um, that I mean something like this, that God is sitting on the throne and that he's dressed as a general or a boss and his command is telling people to worship him. I just want you to know that's hogwash. Uh, God does not sit on a throne dressed like a general and tell people what to do. Uh, God has never been that sort of person. That's not quite the case. When I say that who God is and what he has done and what he is doing commands a response from people, what I mean is something quite different. It's built into who he is and what he does. He's not bossing people around and making people sing to him because he's narcissistic and petty. Okay, God is not a narcissist. God is not small. God is not petty. And if people never sang to him, he would not be less God. He would not become more insecure. God is not insecure. Instead, what I mean is this. Worship is the natural response that any reasonable person would have to getting a glimpse of God in this world. That's what worship is. This is because worship is the natural human response to anything that is great. I just want to double down here for a second. Uh, human Human beings are made to worship. Not only that, but human beings are always, all the time, worshiping creatures. We're responding creatures. That's what we do. And it is built into our DNA and our hearts have been built to always be worshiping. But the question is, what, right? The question is what? And here's the thing that human beings will always be worshiping. Anything that catches our hearts and minds as great, right? So now, now the supreme question is, what have I trained myself to love, and what have I allowed myself to think as great? That's really the supreme question, because you will worship whatever you see as great. We are aching worshiping beings all the time. If you see something great, experience something great, encounter something great, the only reasonable response is praise. And it is the reflex that is built into the human soul. And so the command to worship is not an outside in, narcissistic, petty command to puff up a small, insecure God. Instead, it is the litmus test for our lives. It is this question Are we awake? Are we awake? Are we seeing and are we experiencing reality? And you might be asking, well, what is reality? Here's reality in its most basic form. There is a God. He is good. And his actions, both historic and current, are for our benefit. This is what it means to be awake. If you can see that, you'll be a worshiper. And this is precisely what's being held out in this psalm to us this morning. Psalm 150 tells us, all kinds of stuff about worship. And we're going to quickly, very quickly, go through it. Psalm 150 tells us who to worship. Psalm 150 tells us who worships. Psalm 150 also tells us what to worship. Psalm 150 tells us where to worship. And Psalm 150 tells us the why and the how of worship. You could read that and go, I, I didn't see that. Well, we're going to unpack it real quick. Okay? Okay. We'll start with who. We'll start with who. We've already sort of hinted at the who. And the who of worship or the object of worship is always God. Verse 1, look. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The object of worship is always God. It's the fundamental test of your existence and my existence. You've been made to worship and I've been made to worship. Uh, Every human being has been constructed to respond to greatness so what do we do we have to make sure that we can see him we have to make sure we can see him by whatever means necessary and here's what i mean by that we have to become the sort of people who are awake to god otherwise we'll end up wasting our energy praising things that are not truly great it's possible to be captured by all sorts of lesser lights It's possible to give our responding energies away to all kinds of things that are not God. This is the central issue in life. It's the central question in your life. Can you see that God is available? And do you know that he's good? Who? The object is always God. Why? Why do we worship? Why do we worship? Because of who God is and what he does. Look at verse 2. Praise him for his mighty works... That's what he does. Praise is unequaled greatness. That's who he is. Why do we worship? Why do we worship? Because God is good and all of his works are good. This is why. What has God done? This is one of the great questions. What has God done? Well, in the grandest sense, here's what God has done. He has created the world. He has created the universe. And this is the first bit of waking up that must be done. I love what Richard Rohr says. Richard Rohr, our good Catholic brother and friend out in the desert, he says this about creation. He says, creation is the first Bible. I love that. I love that. It is the first text into which God has revealed himself to human beings. What has God done? He's created the world. He's created the universe. And every true worshiper is someone who has in some way been awakened by existence itself. The fact that you're here. The fact that we're on a planet that's spinning and then circling the sun. The fact that we're not only here, but the fact that we're part of creation cycles. That we're an expression of the past in the present with the ability to shape and contribute to the future. Did you know that every person in this room is an expression of the past in the present with an ability to shape the future? This is like... These are the sorts of thoughts you have to wake up to in order to enter into understanding who God is. Like every person here, like you are here, but you're not here because you wanted to be here. You didn't get a vote. You didn't ask to be here. Everybody here has a life that is contingent upon some other thing. And you go, well, what is the other thing that my life is contingent upon? Well, namely, namely your parents, right? No one got a vote. You're just here, and your life, your very breath right now is contingent upon at least your parents. Well, then, whose lives are your parents contingent upon? Well, their parents. And we can do this game, right? Everybody knows this. This is like philosophy 101. Everyone's life was contingent upon someone else, and then it goes back, and 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 it goes back, and, it goes back, and, it goes back. and then maybe we're a couple million years back or 6,000 years back, however you read it. Either way, it's fine with me. Right? And then we get back to whoever it was at the beginning, you know? We'll just call them Adam and Eve. It works. Well, whose life were Adam and Eve contingent upon? And, how, and what is the container that their life sits inside of? Well, it's like, well, the earth. Okay, What is the earth contingent upon? Well, it's set inside of a solar system where there's a sun that's the exact right distance away for us to have like enough heat but not too much heat and have seasons and have growth and have plants and water and sky and rain and everything that works. Well, what is that contingent upon? Well, it's contingent upon a universe that is rapidly expanding with unlimited possibilities. Well, what is behind the universe? Do you see how this works? You have to wake up a little bit. Think about your life. And the first bit of waking up probably has to do with the main thing that God has done, which is create the possibility for all the contingencies that put you here this morning. Worship is about waking up to God. Sometimes that starts by waking up to your own life. God's created the world. But that's not the only thing he's done. The other thing that he has done that I want to highlight at least this morning is that he has also entered the world. He has entered history in Jesus Christ, his son. It's not just that he made the world. It's not just that he like, made something and then like, flipped it into existence and sat back from it. The Christian story is actually something very different. It's that he made the world and then entered the world. And he did not enter the world as an actor, and he didn't enter the world as an innocent bystander, but he entered the world as a participant and a full participant. That's what the Gospels are all about. Jesus Christ the Son. It's not that God made the world and left it, he entered the world. No one is separated from the Source. That's the the central mystery of Jesus Christ in the Incarnation. No one is separated from the Source. The source has appeared and walked among us. That's what John says. And when he did, and when he did, and here's actually the good news. The good news is not just that he appeared and walked among us. The good news is that when he did, he was kind and benevolent and merciful and forgiving. And God has revealed himself as a friend. And he saved the world. He saved the world by his own flesh. This is the hope of the crucifixion and the resurrection. That God is entering the worst things in order to rebuild and to renew life down to its core. God is not giving up on life or people or situations or anything in all creation. That is the story of resurrection. What has God done? He has made the world. He has entered the world. He is rebuilding the world. In fact, that'd be a good little prayer for us, right even now. Why don't we say that together? God has made the world. He has entered the world, and he's rebuilding the world. This could be your whole prayer life this week, to muse and to pray this little mantra. Let's pray that again. God has made the world, he has entered the world, and he is rebuilding the world. That is like essential Christianity in three lines. Again, this is so key to our ability to see, to wake up, and to be a worshiper. By the way, by the way, we increase we increase in worship by increasing our ability to see who God is and what He's done. I talk a lot to worship leaders, musicians, creatives, pastors—not just here, but like other places. I get to travel a lot and talk to people who do the stuff that these guys do this morning. And uh, the one thing that I want to tell everybody who's a Worshipper, who's a musician, who's a creative, who's an artist. Uh, the one thing I want to tell everybody who's a congregant, even if you don't play anything, uh, the one thing I want to tell everybody who comes to a church is the way you increase in worship, or the way that the church can increase in its sense of worship and the culture that it has, uh, at a given time and a moment, is always to see more of God. That's always the limiting factor on worship, you know? It's, do we see God? Uh, There is no more gear that will increase worship. Uh, Better gear will not increase worship. Uh, uh, More fancy sermons will not increase worship. Uh, Inviting an out-of-town prophet will not increase worship. The things that increase worship are always rooted in, can I see God? And if we want to be more of a worshiper, we have to Increase our ability to see who God is and what he's done. And if you've lost your heart in worship, what it really means is that you've lost your ability to see God. And by the way, everybody gets to choose every day what they look at. That's the thing. Some of us in here are like, man, I feel like I've lost my heart in worship. Like, I used to be a worshiper, and now I'm not. I just want to tell you what that means. It means you've somehow lost your vision of who God is and what he's doing. And the good news is, is that every day... Everyone gets to choose what they see and what they're awake to. All right, how do we worship? How do we worship? Well, Paul would say, with your whole life, that's what he would say in Romans 12. And there's a sense in which nothing in the Bible captures the grandeur of the Roman possibility that Paul holds forth. But that's not what is put forth here. Here in Psalm 150, we see a method for entering this worship And the method for entering worship centers on making music. So the first two verses are about who and why. I hope you see that. Who? The object of worship is God. Why? Because he's great and he's done great things. And then the rest of the psalm is essentially about how to enter into that. And I hope that you notice that the rest of the psalm is like, get all the instruments and play them. You know? You know, get get a ram's horn. Get a shofar. Get a trumpet. Get a harp and a lyre. Get, get an electric guitar. Get a tambourine. We don't need a tambourine. No. Do not. Only disco can have the tambourine. <laughs> Strings and flutes. Clash of cymbals. I love that in verse 5 it doubles down on the cymbal thing. Yeah. You know? It's like in other, in other translations it says... Loud resounding cymbals, you know, like the kinds that get in your eardrums, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons that worship here at the Vineyard has always been like, I don't know, bass, electric guitar, drums, resounding cymbals, whatever this thing is. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Pedal steel, more electric guitars, piano. I mean, we want to just have it all, you know? Apparently, it's legal. And apparently, it really helps. <laughs> this is also why worship here at the Vineyard has always been a little louder. And sometimes people are like, Could you turn it down? And I, No. And here's why Psalm 150 says we don't have to, <laughs> loud clanging cymbals. Not only that, but in Revelation it says that so many people worship God, it's the sound of many waters. It's like, have you ever been to a football game, like in a really big stadium with like 90,000 people, and there's just the sound of like, it's like white noise? It's an amazing thing. That's where we're headed. You may as well get ready, you know? But this passage is all about how, you know? The how. And I just love that this passage centers its how on worship that is in, somehow, in some way musical and is sung. All kinds of instruments. I think part of why this is so important is because there's just something about music that is the perfect container for worshiping God. And here's why I think that is. Uh, I think at least in part... That is so because music, in its root and in its essence, is communal by nature. Even if there's only a few people playing music, there's something about music which is invitational to everybody else around. Um, A few years ago, I was in New Orleans. Anybody ever been to New Orleans? To me, it's the most unique American city. Like it is other, you know, completely other. And while I was in New Orleans. Uh, There are always everywhere you go in New Orleans. Like as soon as the sound of music in one place sort of fades from your ear, you kind of pick it up in front of you. Do you know what I mean? It's like like there'll be guys, guys or people are just out playing music everywhere. And as soon as you sort of get away from them and they fade out, all of a sudden someone else is fading in. You know. And when I was in New Orleans on this particular trip, there was this little little trio this jazz trio it was a stand-up bass it was a drummer and it was a clarinet player and they're just on the corner and they are tearing it up you know what I mean like they are tearing it up and I had seen them because they were kind of close to my hotel I had seen them set up and they start playing and it was really interesting within 10 minutes of them sitting up and starting to play they had gathered a crowd and all of a sudden there's like 30 people you know it's just a perfect example of the invitational nature of music. Uh, music contains inside of it a welcome to come and join and be a part. you know. And I think this is one of the reasons why Psalm 150 holds out to us in terms of the how to worship God, that it should be musical, that it should include all kinds of instruments, and that it should be exuberant, there should be dancing, and it should maybe be loud. And I think part of the reason why this is held out to us in this manner is because there is something about worship and music in particular, that is communal and it is invitational. And I hope you understand that in the course of a Sunday morning worship time, all the things that we're going to do here together this morning, the one thing that all of us can do together is sing. It's the one time we all get to do it together. I think it's a really big deal. So how should we worship? We should sing. We should sing. And the other thing I hear in this passage is the celebratory nature of worship. Do you guys notice that? This doesn't seem like a downer, does it? Now listen, um, worship does not always have to be happy. In fact, the Psalms are filled with lament. And in fact, I even preached a sermon last year about lament. But the invitation here is to one of joy and celebration. Responding and resounding to symbols is all about having a little bit of fun. And I'll just tell you guys something. I hear a call to us in this passage. Uh, It's the call not only to see God and it's the call not only to revere God or to respect God, but it's the call to revel in God and to enjoy him. There's a place for reverence. Uh, There's a place for silence. There's a place for contemplation. In fact, we've talked about all these things in this series, but there's also a place for all-out joy. And there's an invitation here. And I just want you to know, like when you come to the vineyard, and we are entering into praising God and we are entering into blessing God and trying to wake up to see Him and to respond to His goodness, I just want you to know that if it makes you happy and you want to express your happiness, you really, really should. You know? You really, really should. Uh, There is some sort of an invitation here. And I just have this feeling that the invitation to happiness and the invitation to joy is always greater than the invitation for sadness, lament, and pain. Okay, I just want to say something here. Like, sadness, lament, and pain, uh, those are legal, and they have to be expressed at church. Because everybody in here has experienced and will experience sadness, disappointment, and pain. And one of the worst things that can happen at a church, particularly a charismatic church, is for us to become a denial-based people who have no place for... Uh, the parts of life that are uncomfortable and really suck. In fact, we have to build spaces inside of worship to name that which is uncomfortable, disappointing, painful, and sucky. We have to. Otherwise, we just become denial-based people, and actually we end up like spinning off of our axis. Okay? But there is something greater than all of that, and it is to revel in who God is with a happy and joyful heart. Because I just want to tell you something. In the age to come, in the eschaton, in the forever and a day, uh, it is going to be reveling. It is going to be joyful. It is a very long table. It is, it is wine. It is food. It is music. It is dancing. And it is enjoying his presence. Psalm 16 says that there is fullness of joy in his presence. There's something greater. You know, it's not like it, they're not oppositional. It's not either or, but there is one that is greater. And we want to give ourselves to it, you know. We want to give ourselves, even the introverts, (laughs) even the introverts, we want to give ourselves to it, to express joy. Where? Where do you worship? Psalm 150 would say, heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heaven. That'd be heaven. I'm a Bible scholar. But verse 3 through 6, 3 through 6, the implication is on the earth. Ram's horn, lyre and harp, tambourine and dancing, strings and flutes, clash of cymbals, resounding cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Uh, Where where should God be worshipped? Heaven and earth. Where else? Everywhere. Like like what the Bible is trying to say, like God should be worshipped everywhere, by everyone. This means that there's not a place where God is not present, available, and revealing himself. If Psalm 150 is saying, praise the Lord in his sanctuary, and let everything that breathes praise the Lord, what it's really saying is that God is present, available, and revealing himself everywhere all the time. What is available in heaven is somehow available here. That's what it means. Is it the same? Probably not, actually. But there is something here that is available and precious. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Uh, This is also deeply connected to the idea of life. Breath is a sign of the Spirit, and it's an essential ingredient to life. Here's part of what I hear in this passage. I I hear this. I hear, if you're breathing... You have a call to worship. I hear that if you're breathing, there's a summons on your life. That's what I hear. This is why you were created. Like, listen, church, you might be called to teach or to engineer or to parent or any number of other things. But the primary call and purpose that animates every other purpose is to see and to worship God. So what do I want to say this morning? I just want to say to the whole church, listen, don't forfeit your reason for being. You know? Being itself is the only container for worship because only things with breath can praise Him. The inhale of your life was a gift to you. Let the exhale of your life be a gift to God. That's what I hear in this passage. You have been given an original inhale. Let the exhale, whatever you get. You might get 70 years of exhale. You might get 80. It might be shorter than that. You might get 100 but let the exhale of your life let it give glory to god you know there is something that is animating you and even here's what i hear in this passage i hear that if you become the sort of person who's awake to god that he is god that he is good that he is inviting us to be near him if you become the sort of person who's awake at that level i hear that in the simple act of breathing In and out. I hear that it could be a prayer. I hear that it could be a declaration. I hear that it could be entrance even deeper into the thing that you were made to do and the person you were made to be. Some of us in the room need an encounter with life. Some of us here feel less alive than we used to. Some of us feel like we don't have much sparkle or shine. Well, what do you do? What do you do when you don't feel like you have much sparkle or shine? Oh, you look for God. That's what you do. Uh, You look for God. And I just want you to know, even in the dark, God is available. Listen, man, I'm 40 years old. I've lived enough life to know a few things. There are clearly people here who have lived more life than me and know more than me. But let me just tell you something. I've lived through some really good stuff. And I've lived through some really hard and devastating crap. And here's what i found. That at the bottom, at the very, very bottom, and in the darkest night, God is the one who always meets you. Yeah, okay. So what do you do if you don't have the sparkle and you don't have the shine anymore? Oh, you have to keep your eyes open. You have to look for God. He is present and he is available. And if you can see God, it can wake up worship in your life again. And if you can worship, you are agreeing with the universe's declaration over your life as to why you were put here. Like at a very core level, the thing that is the foundation to every other thing. The reason that you are here, don't forfeit the purpose of your life. Like respond to God. It'll come back to you. What do you do if you feel like you're losing your breath? Oh, try to get a glimpse of who God is. And see if the breath, see if, see if the essence of life doesn't come back to you. See if it doesn't come back to your very being. Psalm 150. Who, what, when, where, why, how. It's all there. I just want to tell you, we're never gonna give up on this stuff here at the vineyard. You know? We're going to keep pressing into whatever this is, you know? We're never going to quit singing these kinds of songs. We're never going to quit singing Wonderful. We're never going to quit singing Sam Lane's Saved. And we're going to keep on writing new songs. And we're going to keep making new verses because there's an invitation in there for us. Amen? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.